Man, I know you're going to want to join me in praising the Lord for this group of folks because it's not just the folks that you have seen, although those who led us in worship and have run the production and, and the sound and the lighting and all that stuff, they've been here. This is the fourth service in two days. But on top of that, there are five campuses, and so there are teams like this in 13 services over the last 24 hours. Would you just praise God for all of those folks, man? Yeah. And if you're our guest uh, tonight, man, let me just say one big welcome to Upstate Church, First Baptist Simpsonville. Um, we're just a big family in a lot of different places on Sunday mornings, but man, we are one church in every way you could possibly imagine. And so again, even if you're watching at home, man, we want to invite you back on a Sunday morning. Um, in fact, this Sunday, we're having worship, two services downtown, all five campuses coming together this week. But then after that, on uh, every Sunday, 51 weeks a year, um, we worship in those five different locations. Man, go to upstatechurch.org. You can get all the details as far as service times and locations. But man, we hope and pray you've just found this to be kind of a, a faith family you'd love to, uh, to get to know and connect with. Because here's the deal. You may be one of those like 400,000 people that moved to upstate like this week, right? Uh, there's a lot of folks coming in, and we're excited. You may have some people be like, leave, move, go away. I'm like, come on, keep coming, you know? Um, and I, that wasn't popular, was it? Anyway, uh, I really am grateful, and so I, I hope that uh, you found a home here uh, today. Um, we have been in a series. This is the fourth message in a series. You may say, wait a minute, I missed the first three. It's going to be cool because we're landing on the fourth, and I'll kind of... Uh, remind everybody of the first three really quickly. The, the, the overarching question has been, why Christmas? Uh, why do we celebrate Christmas? But even more than that, why did God do it the way he did it? I mean, why did he decide to save the world uh, in the way that he did? A baby born in Bethlehem, even at the time he did, through Mary and Joseph. So we asked three questions up to this point. Those questions have been, why now? kind of dealing with the, the timing. Why did God do it when he did it? But then uh, we talked about why Mary? Why did he choose out of all the women in the world, Mary? And why Joseph? Out of all the, the men, he could have chosen to be the earthly father of the son of God. Why did he choose Joseph? So all those questions are good questions. But I'm going to say, no matter how significant those questions have been, and we've unpacked those uh, on Sunday morning services for the last three weeks, they are less important than the fourth question we're going to ask tonight. Uh, this question kind of, it, it overshadows the rest because the question really that surrounds Christmas is why Jesus? Why Jesus? Here's the deal. God could have done it at a different time. He didn't have to do it when he did it. He could have chosen a different woman, no doubt about it. It could have been a different girl, uh, but he chose Mary. He could have chosen a different man, not Joseph, the carpenter. But, but here's the deal. There was no other option when it came to Jesus. Jesus is not one of many options. He's the one and only hope of the world. And that's a massive distinction when we're asking the question, why? Why Jesus? And so tonight we're going to unpack that question in three different answers as we ask it over and over again. Why Jesus. The first answer is this. Why Jesus? So that we could experience God's presence. Now, in every service, I've kind of felt like 
at that point, every child kind of looks up because they're thinking presents. Are we talking about presents under the tree? But we're really not talking about those presents. We're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about him showing up, right? We're talking about Jesus, not just the son of God, but God the son. And all of this is stuff that if you've been a part of uh, the Christian community for a while that maybe like elementary, you're like, yeah, sure. But here's the deal about Christmas Eve services. There's no doubt in my mind, the folks that have attended, uh, many who have attended probably don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe they believe in God. Maybe they are intrigued by Jesus and they want to know more, but they really aren't, you know, walking down a path to where they would say they're confident that Jesus is the savior of the world and they're a follower of Jesus. And so this is an important distinction. It's an important point to make that, that Jesus wasn't one of many options. If you believe the Bible, if you trust what the word of God says, the Bible is very clear that he was the one and only. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father except through me. He was it. He was our only hope. And so this is the, the, the foundation on which we build everything else we're talking about. Not only this evening, but really every time we open the Bible, it's looking through the lens of Christ alone is the hope of the world. My wife Amy read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 a minute ago. And, uh, and that is kind of the, the most exhaustive passage of Scripture when it comes to the story of Christmas. But we have been looking at Matthew 1 as well, and I want just to kind of look at that in just a moment. Also, John chapter 1 uh, that we were looking at last Sunday morning. All of these are collectively telling the same story from different authors. And so, as we look at Matthew, he reminds us of Isaiah's prophecy. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, here's what he says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, say the three words with me, God with us. Say that again, God with us. And I know we've heard Emmanuel, we sing about Emmanuel at Christmas time, and we may have even um, been able to answer the question, what does Emmanuel mean? But, but I want us to really dwell on it for a minute, because this is the, the first answer to the question, why Jesus? I mean, it's because Jesus embodied the Godhead. So when Jesus was born, it wasn't just the Son of God. God the Son came to dwell with us. He came to live with us. It was the presence of God himself. And so God came to live with us. Now, before we go further, it's important to make something really clear. For a point of clarification, God had not abandoned his people in the Old Testament, right? I mean, God had revealed himself through the Old Testament scriptures. And then in addition to that, I mean, God had been present in some sense in the tabernacle. Uh, Sunday, we talked in particular about how, how, uh, how God had dwelt in the Holy of Holies as his people wandered in the wilderness. And so God had dwelt there. But here's the thing. It was, he was very separate. The whole idea of holiness is that he was separate from his people, although he was in the middle of the community of faith. 
They surrounded him, but they could not go into him, into the Holy of Holies. They would have been killed. I mean, there was this bridge that had been broken by our sin. And so there was no way that they could go in. There, there was a representative, in, in most cases a priest, but in some you had Moses as a, an individual representative of the people who could commune with God. God would speak to them. And, and even the priest would go into the Holy of Holies on occasion and, and represent the people, but general people, me and you, we would not have been able to commune with God. It was not a, a relationship in the way that it is today. And so understand when we talk about Jesus brought the presence of God to earth, it, it is impossible to overemphasize how important this was. Jesus changed everything because in, in the Old Testament, think about it like this, they were aware of God, but there's a difference in being aware and him being there. And in this case, he, he's not only made us aware of God, but Jesus himself came to live here. He actually was there. Face to face, he dwelt with us. We beheld his glory, and we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But as a result, his people could not fully experience his glory before Jesus came. They couldn't fully experience the peace of God. At Christmas, we sing a lot about peace. We talk a lot about peace. But before Jesus came, we couldn't experience the glory of God, not in the way that he wanted us to. And he definitely couldn't have experienced the peace of God, not in the way that we needed to experience it. And the truth of the matter is, our relationship with God wasn't the way it should be. Things just weren't the way they should be. There was a brokenness and a pain in the human condition that really couldn't be mended any other way. So here's the deal. We, we could not go where God was. And so as a result, the story of Bethlehem is a story of God coming to where we are. God with us. And at Christmas, more than any other time, we talk about a lot of these kinds of words, these words to consider what did Jesus bring when he came to be born in Bethlehem. He brought love. He brought joy. He brought hope, certainly. He brought all three of these things. But here's the deal. If we think about it, in many ways, those were results of a greater cause. The cause was not necessarily love, joy, and hope, but the cause was Jesus. Jesus brought love, Jesus brought joy, and Jesus brought hope that we were desperately in need of. And so the greatest thing that Jesus brought, truthfully, in Bethlehem was himself. The presence of Jesus literally changed everything. It, it changed the complexion of our future because we understand now that we can experience love because of the love that God the Father demonstrated in sending the Son, John 3, 16, Romans 5, 8, multiple passages of the demonstration of the love of God that is in the person of Jesus Christ. But, but then even beyond that, the joy, we couldn't really fully understand or experience the joy until Jesus himself came and he dwelt among us. And so with, with everything that's in us, we, we have to understand, man, his presence was a big deal. But we really know, practically speaking, the importance of what it means to be present. If you're a, a husband or a wife or a dad, a mom, you get this because there's a difference in being in the room and being present. 
Every married man knows exactly what I'm talking about right now because they've had the lecture, right? And, and, and it's probably, you know, sometimes it's easy to be busy and you can be in the family. Year, for years of, of marriage, to be honest with you, I would, I would tell Amy, because Amy's love language is, uh, is quality time. Um, and by, by my definition of quality time, it was like just being in the room. You know what I'm saying? But quality time for Amy is being in the room and having no other distractions and being focused on her completely. Y'all know what I'm saying? Big difference, right? And so uh, being present is not being distracted by the things, but, but recognizing that it's not just being in the room. It's, it's putting all the other distractions, all the other options to the side and focusing your attention on the ones you care about the most. That's at the holiday season, at Christmas season, at, at vacation times. This is what we do. I mean, we, we take a step aside. I hope and pray you do this. Look, take a step aside from the distractions. You, you focus on and you have conversations, meaningful conversations, interactions with people that you care about the most. And so we get the importance of being present. I was never reminded more of this than a couple weeks ago. It may have been last week when I was looking at Facebook memories. You know how those things just pop up. Well, one came up from 10 years ago. And I was like, 10 years? I didn't even know I had Facebook 10 years ago. Um, but, but it was a, a memory of my graduation from Southern Seminary, my doctorate degree. And I, I remember my family went with me. That was the first pictures. My five kids who were here today and my wife. Uh, we were all there in Louisville, Kentucky. And so that goes without saying. But I remembered I saw the picture. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. My kids were all like tiny, 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 you know. And now they're all like grown. Um, but, but I, you know, I was just, it was such a, uh, a, a, I guess, a sentimental moment. But then as I scrolled down, I saw my mom and dad. And I was like, hey, mom and dad, I'd forgotten that my mom and dad drove all the way to Louisville, Kentucky from North Georgia just to be there with me. And I kept scrolling, Amy's mom and dad, Sandra and David, that's so cool. They, they, I'd forgotten that they had gone up there for that. And then even scrolling down, a, a, a kind of a lifelong friend of ours, Rick, was there. And I was like, man, I can't, I, I'd forgotten. that." They, and, and here's the deal, the significance of that. They could have easily given me a call that day. They could have gave me a call and said, hey, Wayne, I know you're in Louisville, Kentucky. I just wanted you to know I'm proud of you. I love you, and I'm so grateful for what God's done. And that would have been cool. I mean, I would have been moved by that. I would have appreciated that. Uh, they, could have, they could have even looked at pictures later, you know, and said, oh, it's just such a great moment. I'm so proud of you. I saw, and I'm aware of it. But here's the deal. See, they weren't just aware. They were there. There's a big difference in being aware or making someone aware and being there. Here's the deal. The truth of the matter is, we are present for the things we care about the most. I don't mean we're in the room, we are present. We are present for the things we care about the most and God was too, because he cared about you. He loves you. Man, he, he, he actually didn't just come to, to be born for you, he died for you. And so this is how much the God of the universe actually cares about us. And so the, the word Emmanuel, again, it, it means God with us. And in those three words is wrapped all this meaningful conversation. But oftentimes we just rush past that like it's nothing or it's meaningless or it's just simple. But look, God made us the priority. God made us the priority in Bethlehem. 
And no, he wasn't on Calvary yet. He wasn't, he wasn't having nails driven into his hands and his feet yet. But in the moment of time when Jesus actually broke through all of time and became a man, man, he was there for you. He came for you. God came near. And this, this is the significance of that. We were foreigners. We were far off. We were far away from God, but God came near to us. God was present for us. Ephesians 2.13, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus did for you. He brought us near. Psalm 34.18 says, Practically, not just talking about our eternity, but our practical tomorrow, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. So this is bigger than just an identity issue. This is actually, practically speaking, a God who actually cares about us and wants to minister to us in our pain. So why Jesus? Man, the first answer is so we can experience God's presence. But the second answer is why Jesus? So we can see God's glory. So we can actually behold his glory. Look at verse 14. If you look back at Luke 2 again, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. What, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's a difficult understand, concept to understand. When we think about glory, glory to God, or even bringing glory to God, giving glory to God, we need to clarify that God doesn't need our glory, that God is not less glorious if we don't give it, give it to him. Uh, there's not some deficiency that God has, and, and he's just waiting on us to, to give him the glory that is, is, uh, is due him. Now, he says doesn't have a deficiency. Here's what glory, glorifying God or our giving glory to God really is more of an acknowledgement of the infinite worth of our God, that God is infinitely worthy of our Praise. He's infinitely worthy of our worship. He is glorious. And so in response to his worth, we can't help but acknowledge his worth by giving him glory. Uh, here's what uh, John, uh, what, uh, at the end of Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20, Paul actually says that in one sense, all glory already belongs to God. And so again, we're not, we're not giving him something that somehow makes him more completely God. no. Uh, our giving him glory is an acknowledgement of his worth. It is, it is what he is due, and so therefore we worship him. John chapter 1, verse 14. Again, uh, we, we read it Sunday. It says, the word became flesh. This is John's record of Bethlehem. Even though he didn't mention Bethlehem, he didn't talk about the stable. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. What a summary of the entire birth and childhood of Jesus, right? It really the ministry of Jesus. The word, the Logos, became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. But notice this, and we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, there's a lot to unpack, but let me say, first of all, what, what do we mean we have seen his glory? What does it mean to see the glory of God? Well, before Bethlehem, again, only a few people, individual representatives could actually see the glory of God or be in the presence of the glory of God. And, and really, in a real sense, it was, it was more of a glimpse of his glory. 
In Exodus chapter 33, Moses begged God. He said, God, please show me your glory. And God told him, he said, I can't even let you look in my face because you'll die. And so he protected Moses in some sense, and he allowed him to catch a glimpse of his glory. But there, it, was, it was a different kind of viewing or a different kind of seeing of the glory of God. Here's the significance, though. Before Bethlehem, only a few could catch a small glimpse of the glory of God. But because of Jesus in Christ, we have seen the glory of God. Now, you may say, Wayne, I've been in church all my life, and I've never seen Jesus. So I'm not really sure what you're talking about, about me seeing the glory of God. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, here's what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 3. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Here's what it means. In their case, the God of this world, Satan himself, the enemy, the enemy, the trickster, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so here's what that means. It means there are people who actually laid physical eyes on Jesus who didn't see his glory. There were people who actually saw him, but didn't really see him. And then there are many like us who actually have never laid our physical eyes on Jesus, yet we see his glory. (laughs) We have experienced his glory, and it's radically changed our lives. But here's the next part of that verse. It says, we have seen his glory, and it's full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And it goes without saying that if there's any two things that we are hungry for in 2021, it is grace and truth. If there's anything the people on your street need to hear, it is a Christian who speaks both grace and truth. I mean, you can find a church, you can find a Christian easily who will speak either grace or either truth. But here's what we need. We need to be Jesus people who speak both grace and truth. And we don't just need to be filled with half grace and half truth. You see, there's many churches that will, that will show grace, but they'll only speak half truth. There are many churches that will speak truth, but they will show only half grace. We should be Jesus people who are full of grace and truth. And this is what Jesus did. He changed everything. He came so that the, the, the world that was hungry for the truth would not just be delivered truth in the sense of Jesus handing them truth. He embodied truth. He didn't just show them grace. He identified himself as grace. And so full of grace, full of truth, 2,000 years has passed, but it's true today. Listen, Jesus always has what we need. And on this story, in this story of Bethlehem, Jesus had what the world needed. The world was in desperate need of grace. The world was in desperate need of truth. And this is exactly what Jesus brought. Jesus always has what we need. So why did Jesus come? Why Jesus? So we could experience his presence. So we could see God's glory. But then even beyond that, so we can know God's peace. We could know the peace of God, the incomprehensible, the unimaginable peace of God that passes all understanding. Look at verse 14 again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
to those with whom he is pleased. I listened to my son Will last night explain this concept uh, at the Anderson campus, and, uh, and he did much better than I'm going to do, but I want you to listen. Simply stated, we experience peace when everything is right. You could say it like this. In, in, the, in the passage, the peace of God is, is like basically saying, this is the way it should be. Things, when God brings peace, he brought peace in the sense of our broken bridge could be mended. The, the bridge between us and God, he brought peace to the brokenness. So when we could imagine the way that it should be, we know when things aren't quite right, but we know when things are right. And in this case, we, we see that God brings peace. He makes right what was wrong. He mends that which is broken. And, and in the case of all mankind, sin had broken everything. And so definitely we needed Jesus to bring peace to restore the relationship between us and God. But then even beyond that, I mean, he's the God who practically brings peace in the midst of chaos and confusion, even the chaos and confusion of your heart. And, and so we get this understanding. We understand what it means to be uh, at peace in the sense of when things are right. We definitely know when things are not right. Going back to the husbands, if you ever walked in a room and you just knew something was wrong with your wife, what's the question you ask? Hey, baby, is everything all right? And what's the answer? Fine. Yes, everything's fine. What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. Again, word to the wise, do not ask the question a second time. Just put, go on, you know? Is everything all right? It's fine, yeah. Um, but here's what happens. We know when things aren't, aren't right. We can feel it. We, can, we just know it. We know it. Nobody has to tell us. We know it when something's not right. Uh, a great example at Christmas time is fruitcake. We know when something's not right. You know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you, fruitcake is like a massive disaster that took place in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Earlier I said only fruitcakes like fruitcake, but... Then I had a pastor, a wonderful friend, Dick Lincoln, is a member of our church. He said, only fruitcakes don't like fruitcakes. He kind of turned it around on me. But I went this far in the last service, and I believe it's true. You know, I think Mexican food and Chinese food are, are of God. It's definitely Chinese buffets. Chinese buffet, can I get a witness? I just really, some of you are like, that's gross, that's nasty. You just need to get saved. That's all I'm, I'm really... And, and the same could be say, I truly think that it's, uh, with confidence can say that uh, fruitcake is, is of the devil, all right? And, uh, and I have some really good friends that disagree with me. I know that. It's going to be a lot of controversy, I know. But, uh, but and I love you. You don't have to. But here's the thing. We know when things aren't right. I mean, candied fruit with cake and, and pecans and whatever, that's not right. That's not right, all right? We know when things aren't right. But here's, you know when things are right. And here's the truth of the matter. God, through his son Jesus, made all things right. Peace has come to earth. It's not an end to strife. It's not an end to struggle. Peace is not an end to wars. See, that's what the world wants to define it that way. Peace is not an end to wars. Instead, God has come. He ultimately didn't bring bring just peace in his hands to give us and walk away. He brought himself. This is why the scriptures refer to Jesus as the prince of peace. He made peace between God and man. 
Jesus brought peace to the chaos and the confusion and the condemnation that came as a result of our sin. This is massive. John chapter 1 again, verse 11, says he came to his own, but check this out. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. (laughs) This is so amazing. Listen, when we become children of God, it changes our identity. Scripture says he changed our name, right? He changed our identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I mean, you're a new person. This is why we say you've been born again when you come to Christ. And so he, he definitely changes our identity. He brings peace in our heart and our lives. He brings peace between us and God so that eternity is ours with him. But it's, it's so much more than just eternity. Listen, he brings peace practically to our lives. And you may say, Wayne, does that mean there'll be no more arguments in my marriage? No, promise. Does, does that mean, Wayne, there'll be no more arguments in churches? No, as long as they're humans, they're going to be problems, right? And does that mean, Wayne, that you know, I will never have depression? I'm never going to struggle with difficulty and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to get angry and have a problem with my temper? And all of the answers to those questions are, no, that's not what peace means practically. Here's what it means. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos and confusion of this sin-sick world, while the wind is blowing the roof off of your house, somehow in the midst of that craziness, the peace of God that passes all understanding guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Somehow in the midst of all of the crazy circumstances, God in Jesus Christ brings peace to your lives practically. Here's what it says, Philippians 4, 6. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But listen, verse 7, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard you. The peace of God, look, Here's the truth. I can only imagine the amount of fear, anxiety, and pain. I can only imagine the amount of brokenness that has come into this room today. There, there are people probably sitting on their couches or maybe, maybe driving in a car right now. And, and they're broken. I mean, they get this. We understand what it means to be afraid and anxious and stressed. We understand what it means to be in pain and, and not have what we think should be peace in our lives. And, and I just want to declare to you, look, no matter how many times you've searched for peace, no matter how many places that you have sought it out, no matter how many people you have depended on to provide the feeling of the void that's in your heart that you know you desperately need. This is the human condition. We all know we need it. No matter where you have been disappointed in the past, you're only going to find peace in one place. You're only going to find peace in one name. And his name is power. His name is healing. And his name is life. 
The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. Man, I hope and pray tonight that if you don't know him, that you will cry out to him who is your only hope. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, I'm grateful for the gospel that's not a gospel for rich people. It's not a gospel for perfect people. It's not a gospel for uh, people who are in a particular class. But God, your gospel is for all people. Lord, I, I hope and pray that we will hear not just about the peace that comes um, to those who are somewhere else, those who maybe are elevated in some condition that maybe, you know, we just no way we could get. God, I hope and pray you'll, you'll get across to us through the power of your Holy Spirit tonight. This peace is for us. This peace is for me. This peace is for every man, every woman in this room. And his name is Jesus. God, would you speak to us even now? Give us hope. In Jesus' name.